Welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all the live-action and let's face it, you know why we're here. We're covering Lupin. Part six is here. Two episodes into part six. This is fucking cool. Here we go. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I'm Drew. <laughs> He said emphatically. <laughs> Damn, Skippy. I'm Chris. He said amazingly. <laughs> and I'm Natalie. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Oh, but yes. But before we get into our review of the second episode of part six, we are turning the episode over to our good friend Guillaume, who is all the way back in the land of chocolate eating yodelers. Yes. I'm still going with that line from our the first episode. But yes, Guillaume has recorded, or excuse me, he has reviewed episode one for you of part six. And this is actually exciting. So without further ado, take it away, Will. Hello again, Lumpantic folks. And welcome to our review of Lupin the Third, part six episode one. I apologize for my raspy voice. Once again, I've fallen ill. But don't worry, it's just the flu. Anyway, this is going to be a bit different from what I'm usually doing for the podcast, as it is more or less improvised and unscripted. So you will have the full uh, Guillaume Babe uncut experience. <laughs> well, until, you know, Drew edits bits here and there. Isn't that right, Drew? <laughs> He's my boss. So, episode one. What's funny is that it already got a lot of, uh, uh, I wouldn't say division, but a lot of recurring criticisms, and before I give my own two cents, I like to address some of these. Yes, there's CGI. Well, to be um, more precise, there are a lot of CGI cars, and since episode one is, I would say, a third car chases total, uh, it can be a bit distracting, especially when it's um, cut with um, um, shots where all the cars are, you know, uh, traditionally animated, and then it's all CGI. But I'd like to address a few things. First, um, the production must have suffered from the pandemic one way or the other. So I think it's, you know, it's one of the possible reasons why there's so much CGI because cars are extremely difficult to animate. It demands a lot of effort. And I think they used CGI with a, a cartoony playfulness that was quite refreshing. You know, um, when the Fiat, you know, Lupin's Fiat uh, does a whole barrel roll, you know, uh, upside down to then get back on its wheels, uh, it's, it's cartoony, it's funny. And there's um, um, a British police car uh, flying the air uh, as a side gag, and it works. Honestly, it works. So I wasn't too uh, much bothered by it. And I think that 
for the most part, the animation is fluid when it needs to. In terms of design, it's strong, it's solid. There's um, a bit of thickness in in the lines, you know, the lines that make the, the characters, um, which is a, a bit reminiscent of part four, you know, the Italian adventure. And no, overall, I think the animation is decent, you know, it's, it's what you'd expect from TMS. Because I think TMS was never, uh, you know, the kingdom of Sakuga, you know, those um, very... Um, intense and fluid uh, bits of animation, they, their strength lies on cutting, editing, on rhythm, on um, composition, more than the animation itself. But again, I think the animation this episode is completely decent. In terms of rhythm, it can be a bit strange, mostly because um, contrary to um, the first episodes of part 4 or part 5, we don't have all the answers. So, uh, you know, the, um, the viewer does have to do a bit of the work himself. But again, it's Lupin III, you know, it's not, it's not David Lynch, you know, it's quite easy to understand what's going on. And so we have Albert, uh, notre, notre cher Albert d'Andrézy, n'est-ce pas, who um, is, you know, um, tracking the secret organization's The Raven's Treasure, um, and he's being found out by uh, Lestrade and Holmes, but then the MI6 is trying to uh, take him under their study. Uh, what's funny is that the uh, dynamic between the... Um, uh, London police, you know, incarnated by Lestrade, who is surprisingly gun-happy, you know. The British, you know, have a reputation of not being as, um, you know, the British policemen are seen as not, you know, murderous as the American police. But here I thought to myself, wow, Lestrade is out for blood. And I think it has some um, significant, some, some significance um, for the rest of uh, the series, but I'll get to, to that later. Uh, but I like that the dynamic between Lestrade and the MI6 um, mirrors a bit of, you know, uh, that good old um, state police versus the FBI that you have in American shows. I think that's, that's why they, they wanted to emulate that aspect. Another funny aspect is that the, um, the redhead working for the MI6 is uh, called Buckingham. So he's from a noble family, uh, quite possibly. So you also have that kind of uh, class struggle because Lestrade, um, in the Conan Doyle um, novels, I don't think he is from a very rich or influent, you know, um, influential family. He's, uh, he's a man, you know, uh, he's a man of the people, uh, Lestrade. And so it was an interesting dynamic. It's it's subtle, you know. It's uh, it's uh, uh, quite understated, but it's there. And I think that's what I liked in this episode. There are a lot of understated things, like, and we have to address that, Lily and Holmes. So Lily, she's already super cute. She's very well animated when she runs. Uh, I don't think she's um, sexualized at all. Uh, yes, she has um, very bare legs, but that's part of the, uh, the, of the uniform, sorry. And uh, we don't see her in any uh, naughty way at all. 
Um, but she is clearly uh, a very intelligent, assertive uh, young squire, <laughs> and she she wants to be what her father was to Holmes. She wants to be, you know, his Watson, um, because it's clearly Watson's daughter, and Watson is dead. And we know from uh, you know the synopsis, the um, the plot details, uh, that Watson uh, has been murdered. You know, he died. Um, in violent uh, circumstances uh, about three years ago, you know, in that timeline. And the main suspect is Lupin III himself. So that creates, you know, a lot of interesting tension. As for Holmes, our uh, shaggy, raggedy, bearded uh, Holmes, what's funny is that um, he's extremely human, isn't he? Because we're so used, you know, we're so used of um, seeing Holmes as a near sociopath, or at least, you know, of that kind of uh, remote, um, know-it-all, who practically has um, autistic levels of um, uh, social, how could you say, of, um, of, of a lack of social skills, you know. And I'm not saying that to disparage the, um, you know, um, people uh, on the spectrum, because I technically am uh, on the spectrum. So it's funny that Holmes seems like a well-adjusted version of himself, a very laid-back, very modest too, because Holmes is also known to be quite uh, arrogant. Uh, and there, I don't see that at all, and that's very funny. It's it's obvious that Watson's death um, took a toll on him. He uh, only, uh, you know, he has to uh, solve um, little cases of cheating, robbery, and so on. But, you know, he's also welcoming. He he invites people, you know, again, taxi, uh, taxi drivers, store managers, and so on. So, again, little people, you know. Um, the, the the working class, practically. He invites them in his big home, because, you know, that, that home has become way too large since Watson's passing, and we see, um, he see, we see him as um, feeling very alone in his office, in his study. So that's a very compelling and human portrayal of Holmes. And that's, again, that's very rare in the recent history of that legendary character. As for the Lupin <laughs> um, section of the episode, um, we don't see them that much in that um, Lupin takes some um, first stage, uh, Fujiko as well. Goemon and Jigen are, you know, more of a supporting cast. They, they do a lot of the action, but they it's not their time yet, you know, it's not their time to shine yet, but they will, I hope. Lupin is indeed quite serious, quite mysterious. We we don't we don't know a lot of his actual goals, of uh, his actual motivation. So again, um, the mystery aspect of the series has been marketed, you know. So we know we knew what to expect. And so the fact that this is not, you know, a full introduction like the first episodes of part four and five or any other series for that matter didn't bother me because it's also important for such a, a long-running franchise 
to, to try new things and also to trust its audience a bit. So that didn't bother me at all. So for me, the real mystery behind uh, part six will be a question of, you know, points of views and um, not necessarily if um, Lupin did kill Watson or not. It, I guess it will be answered because I don't think uh, the series will be brave enough to keep it ambivalent, even though they're playing with the notion of is Lupin a hero or a villain. But like in the opening, which I actually like, by the way, I know it's less of a solid, um, you know, um, of a solid opening as part four or even part five. Um, but I liked it, you know, and I like the fact that we open and close with the um, dark silhouette of Lupin um, behind a red backdrop and a reversed uh, city of London because it's all a question of reflections, of mirrors, of reversed um, pictures, you know. Uh, you have a lot of water reflections, you have uh, a lot of different pictures of the same character, um, the um, multiplicity of points of views. And maybe this will be the Rashomon of uh, the Lupin the Third franchise, but it will be interesting to, um, you know, in this mystery, to confront the two points of view, you know, uh, Lillian Holmes and Lupin's points of view. What's, what's so interesting is that in the original Maurice Leblanc's novels, um, Herlock Sholmes, you know, uh, in the Sherlock Holmes stand-in, uh, was the darker character of the two, and your sympathy lies solely on Arsène Lupin, because um, Sholmes does a very, very uh, dastardly and um, devastating thing to Lupin at the end of The Hollow Needle. But here it's reversed, you know, Lupin is um, indeed the, the darker character of the two. So that's also interesting because we have to accept that in Lupin's line of work there's a lot of collateral damage and he will not be beloved and admired um, by everyone the same way, that's for sure. And so for me it's less a question of is um, Lupin an actual hero or an actual villain or something between the two. It's he is both. He is both. It really depends on your point of view. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't kill Watson, um, you know, himself, but it was more of a collateral damage uh, between his war, between him and uh, the Ravens. And so... Even if Lupin didn't pull the trigger, he would be responsible for Watson's death. And, you know, that, I think, is um, the emotional mystery uh, at the heart of that series, even more than the Raven's treasure. One more thing I wanted to, to say is to praise the uh, famed fan artist Togeki Noko, who also um, um, penciled uh, the uh, Lupin the Third T manga, and they are in charge of uh, the intertitles 
for that series, and I and I really like that. They hired fan artists for part five as well, uh, if I remember correctly, and so I'm really happy that the official Lupin the Third production um, is, you know, ha always has an eye on uh, the fans, you know, on what they can bring to the franchise, and that's great. I think that's all for me. I'm really looking forward uh, to the next episode. It's been a while uh, since we had, you know, um, episodic uh, Lupin the Third stories. And I think in this series, even more than the previous one, we will uh, have to watch the next episode to know a bit more. But we will also have to accept that not all answers will be given at the end of the episode. So... As the British say, wait and see. <laughs> Thank you all. I will see you again uh, sometime. I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know we'll meet again, loop-hunting folks. And now, I give the mic back. And we're back, Lupontic folks. And that was Will's review. And, you know, it's, it's astounding because, um, you know, that episode of, of part one of part episode one of part six ended on such a cliffhanger of Lily screams. And now we return to we return to. What are we returning to? <laughs> That's a good question. Our show already in progress. <laughs> this is true. Um, one thing we forgot to touch on last week, speaking of that cliffhanger ending, and it, it kind of happens again in this episode, but not mm -hmm. as drastic. There was something just so like, I don't know, the contrast of Lily giving that like horrifying scream into the really cutesy end credit song is there's just something <laughs> oh, objectively yeah. funny about that. Yeah, see, I I meant to point this out when we were recording last <laughs> week, but it got so late. You you know, you guys being on the West Coast, it was almost close to one in the morning and you know, I work a job where I have to wake up at 530 in the morning to get in at seven. So by then my internal clock was like, it's time for bed. Um, but when I but I was as I was going to bed, I kept thinking, we never talked about that really adorable <laughs> outro, especially because, you know, when it comes to animes, what are the one what is the one thing that there's I, not one thing, but you know that one meme that floats around of like anime openings are just like so pumped and, and like in your face and it's like, this is a show, pow, wow. And then the anime endings are like very calm and soothing. And after Lily screams, we get milk tea, not <laughs> Boba, but the song milk. Yeah, not not Boba, but the but Yuji Ono's ending song, milk tea. <laughs> That contrast of just that scream immediately cuts to. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're so sweet. You're so nice. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Still wearing a neck brace from that whiplash. But real quick, can we talk about that ending? Because, you know, I'm. 
I've mentioned that I am a whore for any and en- every content of Lupin, including the openings, the music, the endings. I've always really enjoyed. Like for me, my favorite endings were always part two because they always ended with like either love theme. So it was like love theme, love squall, and then love is everything. Mm-hmm. And um, my, you know, part four's ending was just like, especially with the Papic music, was very um. <laughs> bleh like <laughs> okay like but, sorry about but that the japanese one though was great it's okay it's okay you know the japanese ending thing for part four though was beautiful i love it oh yeah i actually haven't seen it i should like i should really remedy yeah, that by watching part four in japanese and listening mm-hmm. to the original you japanese music instead of the the mess that we got that was papik you haven't seen the part four ending Oh my god! No, because oh, it's no, so it's not good. because I don't want to. It's just because <laughs> it's just because I listen. I, I watch dubs. I rarely watch subs. <laughs> when you stop this recording, someone just send her a link to it so she can watch it. Then we can continue. Okay. Well, I'll watch it later. Okay. I'm furiously YouTubing. Anyways, while while you're furiously YouTubing, okay, while you're furiously YouTubing, let me get back to the subject <laughs> of endings. Like like I really enjoyed. Okay, look, really enjoyed part five's ending. It was really beautiful. Song is really beautiful. Part six. Am I the only one getting like old school mod sixties feel with like the style of the ending? Oh yes. I say not. I, I say you're not the only one because that seemed to be the intention. It reminds me a lot of like the 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 Pink Panther movie. Yes, I can see that. But I, can, I can also see like a little bit of a. Uh, I want to say uh, maybe like the poster for Casino Royale. Yes. Oh my god! It took Drew like ten seconds. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. So. Yeah, it's and I love it. It's great. It also kind of reminds me like out of the, out of the Pink Panther movies. It kind of reminds me specifically of the first pink panther movie opening yeah that's what that's what i was thinking yeah yeah that 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 kind of aesthetic and i and like i i i like like you mentioned i really do love the part five ending but it it did make me very happy like because that ending is beautiful but it's also a fucking downer ending like considering (laughs) the context and the song right uh we'll see um when I got into part five, I was still reeling from a breakup. Um, and when I was, and like I said earlier, before we recorded, I watched part five in its entirety the whole week I was in the hospital recovering from pancreatitis. So part five was like really a comfort for me when it didn't hit me that I, that I could have died. Um, yeah. Sorry to start on a downer, but anyways, huh. the part five ending for, for someone who's single yeah, the context is kind of depressing, but um, I just really want, like, they're my OTP. I just really want that moment of, like, Fujiko and Lupin, like, holding hands while they're together and they just look at each other all lovingly. Like, that's all I want. That, that was a comfort when I was sick. That's all I'm going to end it there. Oh, that- <laughs> For me, there were there were three stages of the... Uh- the part five ending where it's like the ooh, it's a little spicy, and then ooh, this is really beautiful. <laughs> then, oh god, where's where's the Kleenex? And not in the way you think. I mean, in, in the sad context. 
right, 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 right. That was that was you know, that was the first part. You already got that out of the way. But I always no, joke no with comment. the part five ending. I always joke with the part five ending that like um, wh- when you see like after the Fujiko sexy walk and you see that girl with the short with the short blonde bob, I'm all like, this ending intro is brought to you by the singer Sia. <laughs> You're not because wrong. it looks like Sia. <laughs> but so, oh. part six is ending. Much happier. Wait, ending ending it just started. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Anyway, it it's cute. The, it's very sixties mod style, and um, there's no depressing scenario with it. Yay! There's <laughs> just a really cute cat, really cute cat, and really cute Fujiko. All right, so how about that episode itself? Um, episode two. Um, okay, let me remember because I didn't rewatch it this afternoon, but I do remember it. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's. I want to. One thing I. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm fine with you and this. One thing I like about the about the uh, beginning of the episode is that we we get like a little bit more of those car chase shenanigans that I liked so much last week. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I guess it kind of carried over from the previous one. But I, I remember laughing a little, little bit at. Uh. Yeah, the residual car chase from last time. Oh god! Yeah. The the bit that cracked me up was Zinigata's police car going sideways up the staircase. Lupin doing yes, the, that was it. <laughs> there was there was that. And then Lupin does the Akira bike, you know, like stop, shoots Zinigata's tires right. at. And what cracked me up is when the when Yada loses control and the cop car goes over the bridge, and the, the sound design of the siren goes woo. <laughs> just into the water. <laughs> I mean, but like you know the whole thing the whole thing with the stairs though it felt so much like a part two or three gag and i love it, it. really did oh definitely because i'm thinking that one episode of part three where i think it might be uh our dads are our thieves where mm-hmm. you know sending guys chasing lupin and the gang through this really really narrow uh alleyway to the point where like both vehicles are like turned up on the side mm-hmm. to the point where they're like practically like driving along the wall. Oh, it's great. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that about this one. Not, that was really great. Um, trying to think the car chase was nice. It, it, it kind of got booked in like book into like a really fun scene. Cause it was the car chase at the beginning, which was brief, but pretty hilarious. And my God, the fight at the end was kind of the highlight of the episode for me. I think for me, with the start of this episode, I love how... Okay, we ended with Lily screaming. And then we started it off again with her screaming, but then she suddenly faints. And then we get that silly car chase. So, you know, Sherlock is tending to Lily. We get the silly car chase. um, And then afterwards, we... We zoom right back to Sherlock holding Lily in his arms and he's just remembering like, what the hell are you doing here, Lupin? Like, it's been 10 years. I thought I said never come back here. And it does change this resolve in him that he has. Like, again, Mm -hmm. this is tied to the deeper mystery of the series. Like, 
you know, what is the Raven? What does the Raven want? What do they do? What happened to Mori- Moriarty? What happened to Watson? And how is Lupin tied into this? Who, whom is Lily? By the way, the theory that was very explicit that was out there was confirmed. Lily is Watson's kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. And so, you know, like for those of you that are listening, just imagine us all with very surprised expressions. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Actually, no. Like when it was confirmed, because again, I watch it at work and then I watch it in full when I get home. And when I watch it at work, I do it very clandestinely because I don't want to. I, I just don't want people to think I'm not doing my job because I am. But I'm also like focusing on something else. But I was in the warehouse and I'm watching that. And when it's confirmed that he's, you know, he's a he's the baby daddy. I was like, fucking knew it. Just yelled that out <laughs> <laughs> in this in this shipping warehouse like fucking knew it <laughs> our level of surprise to that reveal is like that bit in monty python and the holy grail you know and there was much rejoicing yeah <laughs> 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 it's like yeah i knew it <laughs> yeah <laughs> there was a really interesting bit of dialogue when sherlock i think it's when sherlock's talking to a stride where he starts talking to himself like saying why are you here loop on I I, I, I kind of thought it was Sherlock saying like, uh, um, I vowed to let you never come here again. But his line of dialogue is, "Why are you here, Lupin? You vowed you would never come back." Which like, so that means yeah. that also leads into something interesting. I, we're we're kind of just jumping all over the place, but like at the very end, the face off with Lupin and Sherlock. That's not exactly what I was expecting. Like their, com- like how I was expecting their convert the, the confrontation to go down because like it's almost like the way Lupin speaks to like speaks to him. Lupin specifically mentions that like Lily's memories are coming back, and like he's almost the way he's talking is almost like she's going to remember something that you don't want to come out. I'm Basically, not sure if I was. Yeah. Going- so what? Like that, what could it be? Because it has to do with Watson, whatever it is. Because somehow he ended up dead, but Sherlock doesn't want something specifically to get out. And I swear to God, if my evil Watson theory comes to fruition, I'm going to be a very happy camper. Either happy or just like, oh crap, curse your sudden and inevitable betrayal. Because why <laughs> else would Sherlock have Watson's portrait? face down in his own office okay you're (laughs) going into the coco theory yeah why else (laughs) would he have it other than there's two reasons yes and and if you've seen coco you know what i mean by the coco theory this Um, is true not coco theory by the coco method just rip the photo off but Mm -hmm. um there could be two reasons. There's two reasons why he could have Watson's photo down. Number one, it's too painful to look at. That was yep. his partner. That was his homie. He's watching after his own fucking daughter. It sure hurts to look at him. <laughs> or it could just be he did something so malevolent that it's like, bye, bitch. I'm 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 so intrigued because like that that dialogue because it was just a stupid joke where I'm like what if Watson was evil and then Lupin's like she's going to remember and I'm like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> what is she going to remember and why is Sherlock not want this to come out 
it's kind of it's like you went from what if Watson was evil to what if Watson was evil? <laughs> exactly. Going back to that, like Lily bringing back her memory sort of thing. You, do you again going all over with these series? Don't you guys feel it a little ominous the way that both Sherlock and and Lupin talk about Lily and her memory? Yeah. Nope, not I, at all. Perfectly normal conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tip top shape. Nothing, nothing to see here. <laughs> in the series right after in the series right after this episode we're good <laughs> packing up folks no but i say this i say this because you know one of my one of my favorite episodes in part two is um that two-part episode with um the girlfriend whose dad um, was bringing back dead nazis and every time she tried to remember you know, she was like an old flame of Lupin's and every time she tried to remember him, it just really hurt her brain. Um, I was kind of getting those kind of vibes in the sense that like, you know, because you see you see Lily like, oh, my God, it, my brain, you know, why does my head hurt? What happened? What am I remembering? Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that like this poor girl had her mind manipulated and some Nazi doctor like like <laughs> fucked up her brain and every time she thinks about the truth it hurts. No. I'm just saying that they're going with this angle of like her memories and now with her memories coming back, what is that about? Like what did she see? Or it could just be something as simple as as a little girl she saw her dad die and she assumes that this dude who's holding the gun is the culprit. That. Right, which which is, I, that's what I think we were we were talking about last week is that you know odds are Lupin's been framed for Watson's murder. Oh which, yeah, you know, we could be wrong, but that that seems to be the most likely scenario. In that you know Lily witnessed it, which you know was kind of confirmed this week. But I'm just wondering if you know she repressed those memories as a way of dealing with that trauma, or if there was a third party involved. That's that. That's one yeah, thing we, I'm wondering because, like, the way she talks about it is like, it's kind of coming back piecemeal. Like, the, the, the like she mentions a dream being specifically like just a man standing over my father's body with a gun, and then at the end of the episode, she has another dream where it's revealed to be Lupin with a gun. But are we going to keep getting this dream and like having it more kind of like doled out piece by piece? Who like who could the third party be? What room are they in? Is the room? This is kind of me going all over the place. The the room they were in, like like like, is it being purposefully not revealed, or is it the uh, the dark room that Zenigata and Yada invest- investigated, where Faulkner had his stuff hidden? Is that where Watson was murdered? Possibly. Oh snap! I didn't think about that. And well, to quote Hamilton, I just want to be in the room where it happens. The hey. room where it happens. <laughs> well, I'm Lupin sorry, I have there. to. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, clearly, Aaron Burr. <laughs> Which, like, why Lupin does... <laughs> but uh, why, why does Sherlock not want her necessarily to remember? Or he's nervous about her remembering was Sherlock Holmes also present there when Watson died and me expanding my stupid theory out further. Did Sherlock Holmes kill Watson because Watson turned out to be evil. Oh my God. You're going to end up like that one dude from freaking um, 
always sunny in Philadelphia with like the with the conspiracy theory boards and the yes. web chains. And I knock on yes. the door and I go, Carol. <laughs> That's that is going to be me. <laughs> and I look me, in the mail, it's all for Sylvia. And I say, Well, this whole box is all for Sylvia. <laughs> it's okay. When Drew gets when Drew gets proven correct, you know, in like thirteen weeks or whenever it happens, we're gonna be the ones laughing. No, I'm not gonna be <laughs> laughing. No, 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 gonna be, no. No, no, I'm, I'm not gonna be laughing. Gonna be I'm gonna be laughing. putting my foot in my mouth. <laughs> but the big question is, is like, is did Sherlock Holmes shoot Watson because Watson was part of the Raven, or did Sherlock Holmes shoot Watson because Sherlock Holmes is one of the Raven? I don't know. I'm pretty much just throwing anything at the wall and hoping some of it sticks, and if it doesn't, okay. <laughs> what if Lily shot Watson? Oh my god! Yeah. Hold on, hold on. I think I'm almost with this. You know, it may, not, it may not be on purpose. It may not have been on purpose. And maybe, again, maybe she forgot about it, or her memory, or her mind twisted her recollection of the event, so she thinks someone else did it. Oh, like maybe some kind of delusion going on. Ooh, that that'd be interesting. Now there's a hypothesis for you. Again, I doubt it, but hey. But if she killed him, holy shit, that'll be fucking terrible. Yeah, that would be bad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, they'll probably bump the uh, age rating of the show up. That's for sure. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, because cause we're because we're kind of getting into um, the more macabre territory. But yeah, <laughs> just imagining because well, I mean, um, what? How old is Lily? Like thirteen or ten? No, no, she's like thirteen. I don't know, but just a, a freaking toddler killing her dad. Like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, Daddy, I found this. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> But now, oh god, is who shot Mr. Burns all over again? <laughs> and there, and here I am suggesting Maggie. But no, nobody's gonna listen to me. <laughs> but now, obviously, let's get into this a little further. Obviously, if 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 Lily killed her own father, like no normal, well-adjusted child would kill their father on their own volition. So maybe you know, maybe there was some I don't know some strings being pulled and. Who in the entire Lupin franchise is not the ultimate puppet master, but Mamo. So, I mean. Oh, God. Mamo just comes <laughs> back out of nowhere in part six. And then the it, fuck? And then it turns out that this whole thing is just a crossover with uh, Koei Case movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys are really, like, like weaving those <laughs> strings in your web theory. <laughs> Okay, look, do you, do you realize how hard it is to build a web when you're grasping at straws? It ain't easy, all right? No, I'm adding to the straws, too. But now we went from what did Lily see to suddenly Mamo may be involved. Well, also suddenly Mamo, but also since I'm, I'm guessing loosely canonically, I mean, Mamo died in the mystery of Mamo. So, like, he can't obviously, like, get there by himself. So, I mean, someone's got to, like, you know, take him there. Someone who's got, you know, uh, possibilities of time travel. So, maybe Mamo uh-huh. brought Mamo <laughs> to, um, uh, oh, God. to the murder scene. Okay, look. It, okay, look. At least you're not one of those fans that think that, you know, Howard Lockwood and Kiyosuke Mamo are the same person. 
because there are some people that do believe that, which I don't oh. understand. What? No, but that I has nothing to do with part six at all. <laughs> I don't like that theory. <laughs> no, I don't either. It's because it's because they're both called Mamo. That's that's really it. Well, there was actually this is actually kind of ironic because um, on Saturday, so I was able to leave work early enough to finish. The night before, I fell asleep watching Amadeus, so I finished it. And then I told Maria, I want to watch some Lupin. Here's some of the things I haven't watched yet. Pick one. And she randomly picked Elusiveness of the Fog. And I love the part one episode with Kiyosuke Mamo. Let me just throw that out there just because I like yeah, anything with time travel. It's good. But the I read manga, the linear the notes. That, yeah, the chapter is really good. But I read the linear notes for Elusiveness of the Fog on the DVD because I got the disco the right stuff discotheque um Blu-ray re-release and release, excuse me. And they did make note of, you know, one of Lupin's most iconic villains is Mamo from the Mystery of Mamo film. But before that there was Kiyosuke Mamo, the time traveler. But which are two different you know, two completely different characters, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the reason for the confusion with the naming is because of dubbing issues. Supposedly that, um, like, Mamo's name translated in English is M-A-M-O-U. I'm talking about time traveler Mamo. It's M-A-M-O-U. And then, of course, there's Mystery of Mamo Mamo, which is M-A-M-O. Well, M-A-M-O-U-X. Oh, yes. Yes. UX. And they kind of didn't realize that they were two different names and two different, not necessarily (laughs) characters, just like two different, you know, villains. And they were like, we're just going to keep it there because nobody's going to watch any more Lupin, are they? Joke's on you, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, uh, the way I heard it was that. You know, it's like you know, they realized that the uh, correct spelling was M A M O U X, yeah, or M A M A U X, something like that. But people have been spelling it M A M O this whole time. They're just like, eh, close enough. <laughs> they they gave up. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's, it's just like I think it was I think it was like Streamline that you know that decided that just like everybody's spelling it this way anyway. It's pronounced the same way. So, but anyway, uh. back to part six. Okay, conspiracy theories and Mamo aside, um, can we just um, can we talk about the cuteness that is like? Don't worry, Sherlock. You don't have to do anything. There isn't a there's an ICPO agent who knows everything about Lupin that will help Scotland Yard. And wouldn't you know, Lestrade teams up with motherfucking Zenigata. That made me happy. That was I loved it. The Inspector team up. Now all we need is Inspector Gadget. We got a trifecta. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god well, well let's see uh, I'm trying to think what other famous detectives Pops has teamed up with huh. well I know he's teamed up with a descendant of Columbo in part 2 oh this yeah Bronco and, yeah and uh, it, also a descendant of uh, Poirot and one of no, 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 no. The Hercule Perot descendant was using him. She was so she he it was a woman who was a granddaughter right. of Perot. And right. she was trying she was trying to get back at Fujiko. So she tries to get Lupin, and then she starts fucking around with Zenigata, like, here are my terms. You can catch Lupin when I'm done with him. Well then there's also uh there's one more 
Supposedly oh, uh, the the uh, Gan- the granddaughter of Ganimard Melon. Right. And also going back, and I think you guys will appreciate how well this loops back to what we're talking about. One of my favorite episodes of part two, we meet Sherlock Holmes the third. Which or as we found this week, he's not. Nope, he was just a <laughs> sham all along. Which I thought was interesting because you know, that was something Monkey Punch did a few times you know, with Lupin the Third was imply that he is not actually the biological descendant of Arsene Lupin. Mm-hmm. You know, that he was just yep. someone uh, borrowing the name and the uh, notoriety that came with it. But then there's also other chapters that suggest that he is Arsene Lupin's son and, you know, the guy actually raised him. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Continuity is never Monkey Punch's main focus anyway, but nope. But you know, like I said, I, I do like though how you know how we how we did get that mention of Sherlock Holmes the Third because again, that's one of my favorite episodes of Part Two, especially the dub. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it appears Lupin's fighting made this match. I had a match once. You said light my pipe with fascinating, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I love that episode. Um, <laughs> and Tony Oliver was great as Sherlock. But, Bruh, um, I think I lost my napkin. Forget the damn napkin. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I love the fact that Lex Lang is doing his best impression of Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that still made me laugh that this Japanese character is talking like freaking what, what <laughs> Bill or Ted and is just yes. like, oh, dude, I lost my napkin, dude. <laughs> Already said that he had a around him of a case, except the only difference was that the stuff that happened happened to him. But anyway, so like I said, I appreciate the reference to that episode, and I do like how you know this whole uh, not actually descendant, but someone using the name, you know, that kind of called back to the original manga, sort of. So I appreciate that yeah. as well. Which I think part five touched on that as well. It did. So I thought actually, that was, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually so, got into a. Ironically, today, um, a friend of mine on Twitter posted about like how they get irritated that people want to make it like people want to make it canon that Lupin the Third's name is Arsene Lupin the Third canically, and they were like, "No, mm. it's Lupin the Third. It's it, there's moments that yes, it's Arsene Lupin, but can." canonically it's not and i responded no you're right it because you know it's never it's implied but it's never stated outright that lupon is the grandson of arsene lupon and you you watch (laughs) yeah i mean there's times where it is but more often than not it's a title and they um they did put this in part five in the Albert episode where you see in the flashback after after Albert shot Lupin you see in the flashback where Albert's leaving and Lupin's like fine well guess what I'm taking the title of the third if that's how you're gonna be right so yeah so I, I am enjoying how in the next scene where the gang are like conversing over Sherlock Holmes and whom he is, um, you know, Lupin's like, 
it's apparently a title. You don't you do it's not passed it's not a name passed down through family members. It's a title that is earned. I did deal with a with someone who called themselves Sherlock Holmes a third, but he turned out to be a phony. Again, referencing that part two episode. And right. you know, there's a little commentary that I want to make that you talked about, Drew, last week about um mm-hmm. no, like you remember how like we were talking about how we didn't really need to go into the backstory of the Sherlock Holmes characters that thanks to, as Chris put it, the pop culture osmosis, even if you're not a fan of Sherlock Holmes, you know, Sherlock Holmes, you know, Watson, you know, Lestrade, you know, Mrs. Hudson, you know, 221 Baker street, you know, all these references. So what's wonderful about this in this episode that's continuing from that is they're not going into any like elaborate backstory on Sherlock Holmes. They're setting it up that this is just somebody who is inheriting the title of Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And this is whom we're facing. And like, yeah, apparently he inherited he he inherited the name, the title and the supporting cast. Yep. Mike Lupin in in Green versus Red. Yeah, I, I, was okay, about, okay, I was about to mention that. Isn't it really nice to have a story where, like, we can deal with the themes of, like, you know, inheriting a title and the supporting characters and not have it be 500 miles up its own ass? Isn't it really nice? <laughs> I like it. I love it. Tell us how you really feel about King versus Red, Drew. <laughs> uh, oh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there in that, in that but, three-hour-long episode. <laughs> so... Something I thought was something I thought was kind of funny though was that in that one little bit of dialogue, we got a reference to my favorite Lupin Third TV series and my least favorite, neat. But anyway, <laughs> something else I also liked about the, I liked about that whole scene was how you know Fuchiko is presented as working with the gang, like she's just one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which again reminds me a lot of. Which again reminds me a lot of the early parts of part two. You know, it's like you know, I mean, she she probably will double cross him at some point. Oh, probably. You know, that's probably. What she does it's in her nature. It's in her character. Yes. So, first of all, uh, that dress she was wearing was super cute. Oh yeah. And super cute. I've never felt more envious of a of a movie poster in my life. Also, ah, same. Uh, but but yeah, you know, it was it was really nice though to uh, see her like working with the gang instead of you know, against them. And, you know, like I said, she, she probably will double cross them at some point because that's what she does. And we love her for it. Yeah. And but no, but for but, me, like, again, leaving off from part five, where canonically now she and Lupin are married. It's just mm-hmm. a very, it's a very convoluted marriage, but who cares? I love it. <laughs> They're down with it. The end. <laughs> but what I, but I, what I do love and I do talk and I will talk about this in my Fujiko episode that over the years, Fujiko's character has really changed. And, you know, like early on, if she wasn't double crossing them or betraying them, she was always put into a damsel in distress um, character, which as a woman, I get really tired of. Let's mm. be real, especially yeah, with I'm... a woman as badass as Fujiko, mm-hmm, and that yeah, really I... did stop. That yeah, that stopped after um, Fujiko's unlucky days or the Columbus file, thankfully. <laughs> so, with that in mind, and with what happened in part five, 
and me always eternally thinking they're in a polycule. Also loving how she was in part two, you know, let's celebrate Christmas together. Happy birthday, Fujiko. She's just right there with them. So Lupin, who's this Sherlock guy? <laughs> that was really great. I, I loved the whole gang dynamic because we get that whole bit with Sherlock and Lily and everybody at the beginning. But I loved, again, I'm a sucker for, and we haven't really had it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't had like a good moment with the gang just lounging in their hideout, like plotting their next move. Yeah. And it being like every yeah, single member of the gang. Right. Which is why I said it reminded me of a lot of the early episodes of part two. Yeah, exactly. Again, like, again, for me, who writes a lot of Lupin the third, who writes a lot of hetero Lupin the third fan fiction where I try to domesticate them because again, I want them to have children. I love these little moments when they're, when they're in their hideout acting all domestically or just hanging out lounging, like, Oh, so what are we going to do now, Lupin? Well, here's the poster. Here's the movie that it shows. Oh, and I think that's him right on our front fucking door. <laughs> okay. So, Lupin, what are we going to do next? I love you. I'm going to take a nap. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and he does. <laughs> that was great. Really? You're going to nap? Yes, I'm tired. Go away. <laughs> Some of that classic gang bickering. I, love, and I also love that bit when I'm... Uh, when Lupin starts packing up all this stuff and Goemon's like holding, I think what looked like, was it a, um, was it like a rice cake? I think. He, yeah, he was holding, it was. Um, it, it, I think he was. Yeah, he was eating Omnisubi. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he asked Lupin, he's like, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at you running away without a fight. Um, and like, he's just that angry. Like, <laughs> Goemon leave the baby alone he has to eat <laughs> and like you know and uh doesn't Lupin also point out that this actually is in character for him to yep. run away yep which reminds me of a bit from uh the uh, kiyosuke mamo chapter of the mom of the manga <laughs> where where you know mamo kiyosuke uh but like the chapter opens with Lupin throwing all of his stuff into his car because he's trying to get the hell out of Dodge as fast as he can. And then, uh, you know, Jigen's calling him out on it. Lupin's like, well, you know, Mama didn't raise no cowards. Set me. See ya. <laughs> God, I love, I love the translation of the manga sometimes. Most of the time. But and it then, reminds uh, me of the, uh, the, the line from part one. To, what, V? Run away? Let's do it. <laughs> From the from the pie Which also from the manga. So yeah. So, so yeah, you know, like so I do agree with Lupin here. It's like running away, that's it's not out of character with him. I I, I agree with him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> what I find interesting, honestly, after this whole, you know, we get this scene of them being in a sense domesticated. Well not domesticated, just you know, being at the hideout chilling, Lupin's going down for a nap. As Lupin goes down for a nap, transitions to Sherlock taking care of Lily, and it turns, you know, Lupin coming back to England, to London, and this whole situation with what has happened with Watson completely, it, it does a 180. He goes from zero to 100 in his attitude, mm -hmm. you know, gone is episode one Sherlock, where he's just like, 
yeah, I'm taking on these cases to get money to take care of my friend's kid. Let me tell you about the case. Now we have like, you know, serious business Sherlock and, you know, you see him first trying to take care of Lily and now he's like, okay, time to do my job. Yeah, that, that, that was really interesting. Having him like kind of brush past everyone in this town and then show up directly at Lupin's doorstep and then make like just utterly whoop their asses, which was kind of surprising and entertaining. Like him doing a complete like, I don't know, like a judo flip on Goemon was like a big surprise. I hope Goemon's back is uh, <laughs> is okay. Speaking from somebody who had that move on them, I was eight. That's what basically decommissioned me from doing martial arts ever again. Somebody did that move on me when I was 18. And I've been having off and on back problems since. So (laughs) poor Goimon. There was one bit. um, Oh, my God. My I think my favorite bit of animation in the whole episode or not like animation and direction is obviously the moment when when um, uh, Goemon comes out because you get this really great bit where like Sherlock almost senses him coming and takes a few steps back and the door opens and Goemon just emerges. Goemon takes a swing at him. What was it? Goemon takes a swing at him. Um, uh, Sherlock distracts him with the glare on the Fiat's rearview mirror, blocks him from taking out his taking out the Zantetskin. But then you get this POV shot from Jigen of his revolver whipping into frame and aiming directly at Sherlock. And that was like just kind of the dynamic, like movement action specifically in that shot was honestly like, I don't know. That's some of the most exciting action I've seen in parts four and five, to be honest. I don't know. That might be a little too early to kind of call that, but that was a really, really cool shot. Oh yeah, it totally was. Yeah. I, I really liked the way the action was animated in this one. I think what I really enjoyed in terms of the action, like, again, this is this is only the second episode in, so we can't really say this is the best in the whole series. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So far, it's very enjoyable. Like, Drew, you're justified in that enjoyment because I enjoyed it, too. What I in terms of the animation story wise, you know, for me, again, not hardcore, but I do love I am a Sherlock Holmes fangirl and, you know, what I'm really enjoying is a very hands-on Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. We do get that a lot in different, you know, adaptations and content of Sherlock. But first we get like, you know, I think what I what I enjoyed was that j- just that whole transition between Lupin putting away his stuff and then telling the gang, why did we choose this place? Because it was inconspicuous and we would blend in with the crowd. Okay, well... What, um, you know, they start pointing out A, B, C, and D about the hideout. He's at their front door. They show off things like, oh, well, Fujiko, they, they realize that you were disguising yourself as Faulkner's assistant. So I'm pretty sure Sherlock went around your desk and got some dirt from underneath your desk, which is true. Sherlock did do a lot of dirt research in novels. <laughs> but also let's face it you guys how the fuck are you gonna hide from sherlock holmes if your fucking destroyed fiat is in the front of the house <laughs> that's not inconspicuous at all but 
transitioning from that, <laughs> you get this moment where Goimon is going against Sherlock. And Sherlock has the upper hand on this man who has trained for the past 50 years. <laughs> and he just flips him over like a pancake. So that, that, that was crazy. It was, it was, it was almost some... Uh... He made really short work of of a uh, going on. The only person who actually kind of got close to even like getting a hit on him was Jigen. Specifically, that one bit where he kind of corners him in the alleyway. And um, uh, one bit that cracked me up is when when Jigen hops on the motorcycle with Fujiko. They go chasing after him, and they like break. Th- uh, um, uh, sure, like breaks to a uh, construction site, and like kicks up some dust. To kind of throw him off, and then charges his motorcycle directly towards them, jumps off, and they both like fly into the air. And this is where I'll kind of touch on. Um, uh, I am absolutely in love with Akio Otsuka as Jigen. And one bit that cracked me up is when they fly in the air. There's like this. Um, um, when they fly in the air. Akio Tsuka, like, lets out this almost high-pitched yell that, like, obviously we wouldn't have gotten from, from Kobayashi due to his age. But it was kind of great because, like, it gives yeah. me, like... Oh my god. It gives me the idea, like, are we going to get, like, really funny, like, vocal bits from Jigen again? Which I- I'm I'm here for it. Let's go full, like, high-pitched so, part three mode. Sort of like when, uh... You mean the chicken like, Jigen? Yes. <laughs> and kind of like they went, uh... You know, Goro Naya retired, and then Koichi Yamadera, you know, stepped on. You know, Zenigata got a lot more energetic. Yes. Which, you know, was totally understandable considering, you know, Naya's age and his health. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, so, yeah, if, if we can get more, you know, energetic, goofy Jigen, I'm here for it as well. Yeah, that was always one of my biggest worries as Kobayashi was aging. Um I remember watching when Katie went to visit me back in 2019, we were watching some of the Lupin DVDs that I had in storage. And one of the ones, one of the things that we watched was a lot of the part two episodes that I had put away and we watched it subtitled and we really were like, Oh my God, Kobayashi sounds so much younger. Oh, you know, OMG, RIP, Yasao Yamada. And then we put on first contact and there's no dub for first contact. It's just, you know, um, it's subtitled and after we watched that we watched something that was more recent and i'm like you can really tell you know kobayashi is has aged you can hear it Mm -hmm. in his voice and we got on the subject of goronaya and she even pointed out you know he goronaya zenigata has has gotten less energetic by the time he retired i'm like no 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 you know i see it too and then when Koichi Yamadera comes in, we get more Rupan! You know, just like that more high octane yelling. And it's like, oh, Zenigata went through a fountain of youth. He's back, guys. And now with um with the new VA for Jigen, we're getting a lot more, we're getting a lot more energy. And again, Kobayashi deserves to be deserves his retirement. Give the man some rest because voice acting, especially for something as high octane as Lupin the Third, oh, will yeah. take a lot of energy out of you. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And, and, and like I, I had seen some concerns here and there when he was cast, but like 
man, after seeing this episode, he's he's more than a worthy successor. He's like he's got the energy down, like like the personality. He even he even did the t like which made me so happy. Oh God, yes. I I was waiting for somebody to mention that because again, we talked about how that how that noise iconic to Kobayashi's Jigen and it's become such a staple in the character. And now oh god. I want to, I'm going to tear up. <laughs> oh, Otsuka knows what he's doing. He's 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 he just slipped into the role so perfectly and like that's the thing with like all the voice actors like when um when Daisuke Namakawa, Koichi Yamadera, and Miyuki Sawashiro joined for Eternal Mermaid, like with, like the moment they came on, they are they were already like really good. But as the years have gone on, now that we're like a decade past that, they have like just utterly become those characters. And I, I'm so excited to see where he's going to be like in the next ten years, like just fully yeah. comfortable and into the role. It's going to be really nice. It's gotten to the point where they really fit the voices now. And, you know, I could honestly switch between something that's older and listening to the OG Japanese voice actors and then slip into something that's newer and not necessarily not notice a difference, but just see like, you know, just see how well they fit into the roles from Mm -hmm. um, Daisuke Namakura's, you know, like the, you know, the noises that Goemon makes, you know, the, you know, the screams that he makes as he slices mm-hmm. and dices stuff to, um, you know, Fujiko's like, you know, like, just like that sweet sensuality mm-hmm. voice. I don't really notice a difference that much anymore. They really fit those roles perfectly. And, you know, I do wonder if the original voice actors had a hand in choosing um, the successors, you know, like how sexy can you do your voice? you're hired (laughs) (laughs) well i i know that uh yamada picked out his successor Mm -hmm. you know himself yeah yeah no you're right he he was like i'm not feeling too good there's this comedian in the circuit who imitates me very well how would you like doing lupon uh i kind of don't want to because you're iconic what if i told you i'm not feeling too good i still don't want to Yamada dies. Oh, well, I still don't want to, but you need somebody to fill the role. Okay. 25 years later, I'm having fun. And he, like, his performance has evolved, like, so much. He's, oh, yeah. He's made Lupin, like, his own at this point. We're like, like... Basically. It's great. No, I, I love Kanichi Kurata as um, Lupin. Mm-hmm. Again, you know... Yasao Yamada always has a special place in my heart. Rest in peace. But, you know, again, again, Yamada died when I was like three, four years old. And if we're being real here, a lot of the recent Lupin stuff that I've watched had Kanichi Kurata voicing Lupin. And yes, I notice a difference. But Kurata just adds his own flair to it, especially with the iconic Lupin laugh. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I th- personally, I think he really came into the role in uh, the woman called Fujiko Mine. I loved his performance there. I I 100% agree. Like, up until then, especially in, like, the 90s stuff, he was doing his Yasuo Yamada impersonation and was still really, really good at it. But once that series came, he was able to, like, show some range 
is when like he like after that right. he started bringing it to other stuff. Right, because I think that's probably one of the reasons why Lupin Affair, I think, in my opinion, works better, you know, as a TV series as opposed to a movie series. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, you know, there's just so much more opportunity to explore these characters in, you know, ways like that. Whereas yep. with the movie, you're kind of stuck with just one story mm-hmm. for 90 minutes, which is kind of limiting. That's one of the reasons I was so hyped when part four was announced. Oh my God, seven years ago. Oh my so, God. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. It's been a good while. Yeah, six or seven years ago. Jeez. But I think it was seven. Well, it was shortly after uh, Jigen's Gravestone was released. Uh huh. But in the show, it doesn't start in 2015. Anyway, but yeah, so I, I've always felt this franchise works better in, uh, you know, smaller, you know, installments such as, you know, manga chapters or TV episodes. I totally. Well, again, you know, you think about it like this. What is the one movie that is coming out that everybody's just like having so much fun ragging on? Dune, which is based off a novel. And I don't know about you guys, but I love the I love the really campy 80s Dune movie with Kyle MacLachlan. But as someone who's read the book, you can't get you cannot you cannot tell Dune's story in a two and a half hour movie. You just can't. It makes perfect sense that Dune should be and should have been and should be a television series because you get more development and more use of really good actors in you know in a one or two season television show than you would in a two and a half hour movie Mm -hmm. and it's the same with Lupin it's the same with like a lot of things which is why I would prefer I which is why it makes sense to make Game of Thrones into a television show and not a movie Um, not just because of the length of the books but because of how much character development is in it and even with something like Lupin that doesn't that doesn't have a lot of like um you know like canon lore for the characters you do get a lot of character development in the in a 24 episode series than you do with a 90 minute special oh, agreed speaking of the uh, tv specials i feel like going back to part six i feel like a uh, last episode especially this one feel a lot to me like a good tv a good loop on a third tv special yes and it just you know just something about the, about the structure and the vibes of it just you know just reminds me of a good tv special especially island of assassins oh yes because it don't because my favorite thing about island of assassins is that for the most part it does not feel like a loop on a third story it feels like you're watching some other you know anime ova or movie or whatever about an island of assassins, and then Lupin the gang just sort of stumble into it, and they just do their own thing, and it works. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's that's kind of what I sort of feel similar about this, and that this is essentially a you know a modernized anime adaptation of Sherlock Holmes that Lupin the Third and company just wandered into, and they're doing their own thing, and I like it. It's like, yeah, it does clash a little bit, but that's part of the fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, see, since, since we're getting up close to an hour here, we'll start to kind of wrap it up. But um, uh, th- that's the same kind of feel I, I, I get from it is just like 
you're kind of just throwing them headfirst into, and as I already mentioned, like like a pre-established universe. Where pretty, this is pretty much just a sure, almost like a Sherlock Holmes adventure with the Lupin gang thrown right into the middle yeah. of it. And I'm, I am here for it. And well, you know, it's, you know, it's it's sort of like, you know, like like the BBC Sherlock. It's, you know, you know, it's Sherlock Holmes. You know, John Watson. You know, all their supporting cast. Mm-hmm. But you know, just just a modernized take on it. Yes, it's, just, it's anime instead of live action, mm-hmm. and you know, and, you know, they go they a different, bit of a different direction with it, and then you throw, you know, these monkey punch characters and Yada into this, and it clashes, but it's fun. Not totally. Well, yeah, it clashes, but it's fun. But also the but also the take that we're getting from here is that this is a modern. This is you know of all the. Sherlock content that we're getting that we've gotten in the 140 years what are we getting with this with Lupin we're getting not only a more modern take on Sherlock we're getting a sort of return to novel roots Sherlock and an adaptation for and an anime adaptation for the sake of anime adaptation and Mm -hmm. it works and it's and it's wonderful and I you know transitioning to the end here um I just find it hilarious that once, you know, Lupin and the gang are able to, you know, escape from Lestrade and Zenigata in that big O explosion, we get we get an awesome <laughs> this is one retraction I'll like to make. I did think we weren't gonna get any filler episodes this season, but we're going back to filler episodes, I guess. But And I couldn't be happier about it. Well, again, I am happy for it. However, I, the filler episodes are becoming justified now because they just explained there's filler coming up because Lupin and the gang are getting the hell out of London. And look, they're all over the world again. <laughs> yeah, which is something that kind of bugged me about part five. Because like they made this big deal out of this show being set in France. And then like what, half the series was set elsewhere? Yeah. And like not just filler episodes, like the main story arcs went all over the world as well. But as history, let's see, as recent years have shown, this next episode of part five is probably going to end up being my favorite one so far <laughs> because that's just how I roll. I'm, I'm, I've realized lately that I'm more into like classic Lupin the third stuff than I am new Pond the third. <laughs> Thank you. Came with that. Came with that I'm going to, I'm going to steal that Chris new pond. All right. Don't forget where you got it. And that goes for all you listening. But anyway, but yeah, I think I, I think I am more into the stuff from like the sixties, seventies, and eighties, more so than I am the stuff from, you know, say, part four to now. Mm-hmm. So whenever they do something that harkens, you know, back to, I guess, simpler times, I tend to appreciate it because my favorite episodes of part five were the fillers, mm-hmm. mostly because the main story lost me by halfway through. I just stopped caring, but. <laughs> but those filler episodes were still fun. Oh no, totally! So and, I'm I'm excited for next week. Uh, same, and I, and I also like how they're taking because while I the filler episodes of Part Five were some of my favorites too, but the only thing that I'm not gonna say bugged me about it, the thing that bugged me about the structure of Part Five as a whole was the fact that it was just so fractured with like main narrative and then one off. One off. It was fine at first. Main narrative, two one offs. Main narrative, like other arc, then two one offs. What 
made me so annoyed was near the end when there was like the third arc ended and then we did like four or five one-offs in a row that were not connected to anything else in the series and then we got a super rushed um uh final act which i do not like how that ended for the most part and so i'm, 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 I'm kind of glad how this has taken the uh the part four approach was which i think kind of handled the one-offs a little bit Better as the, I want to say better because I like the one about one off to part five. But as far as like the overarching thing goes, I liked the narrative and the one offs of part four equally. Whereas I kind of like the one offs more in part five. And I'm hoping it's, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they're bringing that kind of balance back where they're like, they're, they're doing the one offs in the same continuity. So we're not just jumping all over the place and completely abandoning the main narrative to do two completely unrelated one offs. Which my take on that with with part five, it either should have been the main narrative or it should have been an old school Lupin series that were all like unconnected one offs. Them trying to mesh it just didn't work for me. And I'm kind of glad yeah. we're avoiding that okay. in this series, if that makes any sense. Right. Oh, yeah. Totally. Which, you know, going back to me saying that this next episode is probably my favorite because I've said before, my favorite episode of part five is Lupin versus Smart Safe. <laughs> But my favorite, my favorite episode of part four is the murdering marionette, which is another episode that is not connected to the overarching story of that series. Yep, because it has nothing. It has nothing at all to do with the Italian dream or Leonardo da Vinci, and I don't even think uh, Rebecca shows up in it. I don't think so. But I still it. But nope. I, it was just it was just so much fun. It and was just I, the I quad. It. it was just the quad. <laughs> yeah, uh, Zenigata wasn't even there. Yeah, it was just it was just our four criminals, and and I loved it because it still fit into what Part Four was doing overall. Yeah, so it was still set in Italy, and you know, and and also the uh, overarching story of Part Four anyway was more running underneath the episodes than it was. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I I can't words. Nah, um, it's all good. It's okay. Okay, as long as you guys understand what the hell I'm talking about. I do. Again, like... Okay, good. You're doing better than I am. Again, you know, with a series like Lupin, which is all over the place and doesn't really have a set continuity, when it does have a set continuity, especially within the series, it is refreshing and welcoming, which is why um, we went from, you know... Part five, you know, part four, we had the main storylines, but the fillers were all connected with the setting and right. um, and with the environment. It wasn't just like, oh, here's a one off episode of Lupin and the crew forcing to kill one another. No, it's in the same setting and it works. And right. then you get part five, which is, you know, like here's three episodes of the same formulaic episodic storytelling. Here's some filler. Enjoy. Not even in the same setting. Doesn't right. really make any sense. And some of the filler was just not that well, I, great. My favorite. Well, my favorite is the um, Agatha Christie one in the safe set, the safe right. episode. But with this one, I really love how this ends with there's photos of Lupin all over the world. And you see these oh, photos, yeah, which some of them are very adorable, by the way. But it oh, just yeah, transitions yeah. to filler. And then here's me who said there wasn't going to be any filler for a prediction. And I take that back. We're getting filler. 
I'm okay with it. I promise. <laughs> Not going back on my word. <laughs> well, like I said, it's probably going to be good. So oh, you know, yeah. I'm looking forward to next week. You know, I think it's going to be a fun time. And if it's not, oh, well. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I was going with that. No, it's all good. And since we're about wrapping up here, I'm guessing overall thoughts on the episode. It's good. It's really good. I like where it's going. Yeah. This is good. Good shit. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's that it's that real good shit there. Again, love this new take on Sherlock. Um, I can't wait to see more of it. We're getting into filler. Let's enjoy the filler. <laughs> and yeah. No, I'm not saying that reluctantly. I'm just tired, but filler. This is filler. Filler week. <laughs> <laughs> but before we uh, fully wrap up for tonight, we got uh, one more special thing. Hello again, Lupantic folks. Thought you were getting rid of me? I'm afraid not. I do need to review episode two as well. I can't always be one step behind my fellow co-hosts. So, episode two. Actually, that's a very good thing that I'm doing both in one episode, because really, there are two parts of the same story, which is more of a preamble, you know, setting the stage, of uh, the stakes of the overarching story. And afterwards, we'll have a bit of a, uh, you know, um, standalone fun caper, you know, I guess to reassure the um, casual Lupin the Third viewer who needs to see, you know, a classic Lupin the Third story. And that's what we are going to have in episode three. But back to episode two, we are getting a few answers, but still shrouded in mystery. We understand that the grudge between Sherlock and Lupin uh, goes way back and the incident about Watson's death happened 10 years ago that Lily's uh, suffering from uh, traumatic memory loss which is admittedly a tired trope but at the same time it exemplifies the whole ambiguity of the thing because now it's less about the truth of what happened that's the issue between Lupin and Holmes, and more the ticking clock of Lily's memories coming back. And I thought to myself, is the problem really that Lily would discover that Lupin III killed her father? Is it that simple? Why is Holmes so adamant in, you know, uh, preventing that memory to come back? And I think we can, you know, look back at the uh, exchange near the end between Sherlock and Lupin, you know, on that construction site, and realize that Lupin is again, um, to uh, use um, a pet expression of mine, he is courting the wolf. By that I mean he is provoking his adversaries into, how should we, how can I say that? Um, into showing the truth, while Holmes, being a detective, he will deduce the truth. But Lupin already knows it, he just wants, wants it to come out and show everyone, uh, you know, their misdeeds in some way. You know, he is a revealing factor, even though he's not uh, a proper detective himself. Uh, so, my pet theory, if we if we can go as far as talking about hypotheses on episode two, is that 
Holmes is responsible for Watson's death in one way or the other. Maybe Watson, you know, uh, took a heel turn. Maybe he was in cahoots with uh, the Raven. Maybe he betrayed Holmes and Holmes uh, had no choice but to uh, kill his own friend and partner. Um, I'm not, you know, very confident that this is the truth, but something in that um, in that fashion would make Holmes' reactions more understandable in that Lupin works as, um, you know, a sort of um, catalysis um, ingredient, you know. Again, he shows things that he knows and that no one should know. <laughs> and Lily, of all people, should not know. But the truth will come out. And Holmes, being a detective, he will have to accept that. Uh, we learn more about, you know, this version of Holmes in that he is a successor of some sort to the original Sherlock Holmes. Um, but Lupin himself doesn't know how the line of succession works. But the title Consulting Detective uh, becomes more of, you know, um, a title that is passed on and less uh, a job description. So he has his own legacy. Uh, we have that um, throwaway reference of uh, Holmes III from part two um, mentioned as a hack. And in comparison, we have this highly competent Holmes. Um, you know, he's um, uh, taking back his um, attributes, the pipe and the cane, and he thoroughly uh, owns the Lupin gang. I've never seen um, Goemon, Jigen and Fujiko being... Um, you know, uh, overpowered uh, so uh, easily and uh, beautifully. Um, and it shows really the, um, the amount of skills and um, how Holmes is a true arch rival. So that second episode um, really introduces Holmes as a worthy opponent who uses uh, his enemy's skills against them. And we also have that little bit of Lestrade asking for collaboration with Zenigata, which I think is quite nice, because very often uh, Zenigata is not, you know, respected or trusted uh, by the local police that much. So it's, it's an interesting change, and it feels good to see Zenigata, uh, you know, being treated respectfully by the local police. Again, it may be frustrating to uh, have that kind of introduction and not much else for now. Um, but if the uh, post credit scene with uh, Albert uh, in the uh, La Défense uh, headquarters in Paris are any indication, uh, we will uh, certainly have another proper showdown between you know, the two legacy characters. So I'm looking forward to that as well. The animation was great. Uh, less jarring CGI than in the first episode. And no, I really had a great time. And even if we are taking a bit of a break uh, from that particular plot, uh, I will, you know, enjoy the uh, um, brazen, uh, light-hearted caper of next week. That's all for me.
Tune in next time for our review of episode 3 of Lupin the Third, part 6. And until then, stay safe, Lupantic folks, and happy Halloween. <laughs> okay, so, so Chris, where can we find you? Hey, it's me. Uh, let's see, I can be found on Twitter at, at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. Um, I can also be found most other places, Instagram, Newgrounds, and a few other places, which means I'm probably neglecting those accounts, um, at Amazing Chris Godby. That's G-O-D-B-E-Y. I am also the author of a webcomic called Weird in a Can. And that's at uh, weirdinacan.thecomicseries.com. And I'm also author of a series called Draw, O Coward, which can be found at drawocoward.thecomicseries.com. And Natalie, where can we find you? Um, you can find me. You can find me at your local makeup store because, uh, no. <laughs> um, well, you can find me, of course, on Twitter, as always, at C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Yes, we know the jingle already. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at Captain Lee Helsing. C-A-P-T-A-I-N-E-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Um, occasionally, I take over our social handles to post. So be look be on the lookout when I do hijack because it's kind of rare, but I do. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15, D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod, L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can also find us on Instagram at LupinPod and uh, listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you want to, just kind of scroll down there. Give us a nice little rating and review if you like what you hear. And uh, until then, give us five stars. Uh, yes, please. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I concur. <laughs> until then, Lupontic folks, have a wonderful evening. See ya. Yeah, what she said. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Sideburns and Cigarettes. I get it. We're going back to filler. Please stop sending me messages on Twitter that I was wrong. I know that I'm wrong. We're going on a train. Toot toot. But the question is, uh, which train are we hopping on? I don't know. But which express? Orient? Galaxy? Panda? <laughs> well, I guess uh, all my training has led up to this. <laughs> I apologize. I'm gonna try not. I'm gonna try to not derail the episode with bad jokes. God damn it! <laughs> I'm. I'm okay. I'm sorry. The preview made me do it. <laughs> <laughs>